0: that was a big entrance for me well good morning church good to be here thank you for all of you who have been praying for me as i was recovering from the uh, big sea it's uh kind of weird that usually you want to be a positive person in this world but this is one of the first times you really want to be negative so that's kind of the irony of our times um let me pray for us and maybe we can figure out this feedback here a little bit thank you so let's pray as i prepare for this morning's message and prepare us for that time father god i just thank you for allowing me to to uh, deliver your word this morning i pray that you will anoint my words that they will not return void that there will be an opportunity for life transformation and that Today, you will make your presence among us so that we may be able to experience what you want us to experience. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds and our hearts for what you want us to know. May my words be pleasing to you and the meditations in my heart be edifying. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a quick question. Do I have any car enthusiasts out there? Yeah, okay, there's a few. And maybe if you don't, if you don't have any interest in cars, maybe you have a pet peeve that's just like mine. That you, you go out after you park your car, maybe under a tree, and maybe it's under some power lines, and you go do your shopping, or maybe you go to a doctor's appointment, and you come back to your car, and you find a big, fresh pile of bird droppings on your car. I know some of you are nodding your head, so you know what I'm talking about. You know, bird poof is so harmful to your paint. If you don't wash it off as soon as possible, you don't get it off as quickly as possible that uric acid in the droppings will etch your clear coat and eventually eat into the paint that's underneath. And that can cause some really irreversible damage. Now, it's even worse during the summer months, right, when the sun is beating on the car and that temperature rises and accelerates that kind of etching process. Now, I share this kind of corrosion process that happens with bird droppings to similarly kind of compare it to what can happen to our spiritual lives, to our walk in this world. Especially as people of God, how we are to live and behave will be corrupted whenever we step out into the world. Because eventually, the world, the culture's bird droppings, will start to eat away at our talk and walk. And that's why we should be wise to have preventive medicine Preventive measures in place to kind of protect us from this kind of corrosive pattern that happens in the world. We are currently in a sermon series based on the book of Titus, which we have called the Godly Playbook. Last week, Caitlin emphasized the importance of being discerners and doers as a way to counter the corrupt world around us. It is like putting extra layers of wax on your car to protect the paint job from stuff like bird droppings. That being discerners and doers will help protect us from the world's corrupt ways. Now, another way to say this is that we must have both right thinking and right living. Our walk has to align with our talk. But none of us are perfect in our walk. And when we get caught not doing what we tell others to do, a lot of us have this excuse. Do as I say, not as I do. But really, both are necessary. Both are connected. It's both taught and caught. And if you ask any parent, they know what I'm talking about. They know this because when they're disciplining their children, the integrity of their teaching must be also represented in their own actions. If you don't live by your own rules, how can we expect them to? Today, we will look together at chapter 2 of Titus, which is probably the most practical chapter in that book, and it's where Paul gives Titus his instructions for the church at Crete. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to chapter 2 of the book of Titus, and I'm going to go ahead and read that chapter for us. So let me read. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives. In this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And that is the word of the Lord here paul instructed his young disciple titus to teach godly way to live to the church at crete so why why does paul do this because it really matters and we see this in verses 1 through 10 we can't have an attitude thinking who's really looking who's actually cares how we live well for one we have to see change in ourselves that it matters that we have a life that is transformed because we have jesus christ as christ followers our lives should be changed forever in word and deed again right thinking that is expressed in right living paul believed this was so critical that he spent 10 verses two-thirds of this chapter on this topic outlining what godly living looked like. We already know that the Cretans were known as liars, cheats, greedy, and lazy. Not a very pretty picture of humankind. That kind of behavior is totally opposite to Jesus' teachings. It had a very bad influence on the early believers in the Cretan church who were trying to be holy and godly. So as followers of Jesus, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gives us the power to be more like Jesus. And in the case of the Cretan Christians, having Jesus should noticeably change them. Otherwise, there would be no difference of being a Christian or a non-Christian. And that would be pretty sad. Godly living should matter to us because it's evidence that we have Jesus in us. Also, godly living does matter to other people especially those who are curious about our faith. People who are watching us to see if we are the real deal or just hypocrite Christians. If you still don't believe godly living matters, at least understand that God is looking at you. How we think and act matters to him. Here in Titus 2, Paul called out five groups of people. And all of these groups of people are actually looking at each other because they were in community. They were older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and lastly, slaves and masters. And I'm going to go quickly over this and highlight maybe one attribute from each of these groups, and that's for time's sake. First, Paul started off with older men. In verse 2, he says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound, of, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. In life, generally, we believe as one ages, we would expect our seniors to gain wisdom and knowledge. But you know, it doesn't automatically happen that way. For Paul to tell the older men to behave maturely implies maturity is a lifelong process. And a significant characteristic I want to note here is that he says to be sound in faith. The word sound means true, correct, solid, with full integrity. It's like when you pick up a piece of wood and we say it's sound by when we knock on it, that we don't hear this hollow sound that there's holes in it. Because if a wood is eaten up by termites, it's not sound anymore and it will fail. That older men were to have sound doctrine and understanding of God's instructions in the Bible means studying and applying God's word into our lives, and it never ends. Even when we are older, we must remain teachable. Next, he spoke to older women. In verse 3, he says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine but to teach what is good. Now, how many of you like gossip? I mean, there's a reason why at the checkout stand at the supermarket, there's all those tabloids there that have the latest celebrity news and gossip. I mean, I have to admit, I can get caught up in it too. But gossip, spreading rumors and falsehoods are forms of slander. And Paul was warning older women about this negative behavior. And this does not mean men don't gossip too, because we're just as bad. Because all people are prone to this kind of behavior. But you want to know something? Who is known as the great slanderer? It's Satan himself. Paul warned older women and also all of us to not be like Satan. When we gossip, we are doing the devil's work, which hurts people and destroys relationships. When gossip and lies spread within the church community, and even worse, if it spreads between churches. Third, Paul addressed younger women. In verse four, I believe, urged the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. I want to make a comment here that Paul's specific instruction of godly living in Titus was important for that particular time and culture and context. We can take it as descriptive of that time, but we have to be cautious, actually careful, not to make it prescriptive for our times and context but there are common truths and principles that we can gain but not necessarily make it legalistic and prescriptive so when paul told younger women to be subject to their husbands he was not clearly saying women are to submit to all men this instruction only applied to their own husbands in their own marriages and in the context of cretan society Paul urged younger women to have a right, loving relationship with their husbands and children so that there would be order and peace in the family. God is all about order and peace. Also, Paul is not picking on younger women here to submit. Husbands cannot gloat and think that they are exempt from this. Submission actually applies to all of us all of us who follow Jesus Christ. All scripture must be consistent. So I want to remind us of Paul's words from Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to repeat this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this instruction is obviously gender neutral. Men, women, young, old, As Christians, out of obedience to Jesus, we are all to have an attitude of submission to each other. That's ultimate godly living. And so different for the, it's all about me in this world. Next, Titus was told to teach younger men. In verse 6, he says, similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. These godly characteristics are very similar to the list that older men are told. And something important to note here, Paul Pointed out the best way to teach others is not just by our words, but also by being a good role model. And we see this when Paul said to Titus in verse 7: set them an example by doing what is good. So, a question for all of us: how are you an example of godly living to others? Are you a good role model? Lastly, Paul addressed masters and slaves. Verse 9 says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. We have to be careful here to apply this teaching onto employee and employer relationships today. Um, Slavery, unfortunately, still exists today, but not likely applicable in most of our context. But we can still glean some truth that is beneficial. And what I want to point out from this text was that in the church back then, something different was happening uh, in comparison to what was happening in the outside culture. It was testimony to the upside-down world of the gospel where social classes that kept them, people separated in the outside society, in the church, everyone worshipped together. The church was and is unique where all social classes shared life together, where a slave could actually be a spiritual elder over his own master. But here... Paul res- reminded slaves to still be respectful of their working relationship with their masters. Why? Why? Because I say it again: people are watching our talk and walk, both as individuals and as a church, t- as a church body. To slaves, to live a life that makes the teaching about God our Savior extra- attractive to others. Matter of fact, the same encouragement was told previously to younger women and younger men that godly living matters because people are watching. To young women, in verse 5, to live a life that no one will malign the word of God. How they talked and behaved was their witness to others. And to young men, the same thing was said from verse 8, because they have nothing bad to say about us. Then, by looking at their godly lifestyle, no one would could Chris, criticize the church or Christians. Challenge for all of us. Does your life make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive to unchurched people? Why or why not? Because people are watching and discerning if your faith is real and matters. Living your life preaches a gospel to the world. Whether male or female, old or young, upper class or even lowly servants represent Jesus in the world. Remember Jesus instructed his disciples in John 13 verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How we walk, How we talk, how we love one another represents Jesus in the world. And is that an attractive message that the world can see? Something I love about our church is that we are an intergenerational church. That we have different age groups represented here. And definitely, it's not for everyone. Because diversity presents a lot of challenges to manage. Many times, it's actually easier, it's more comfortable to stay in our separate peer groups. But that is not how God wants his church. That's why in Titus 2, we see this multi-generational community living life together, interacting with each other. And I'm sure there was plenty of generational conflict and tension back then, like we have today. But that's why Paul told us in Ephesians, we must have this mutual submission for unity's sake. Without submission, there would be chaos and disorder and conflict in the church. Last week, we um, celebrated the life of one of our beloved seniors, Jimmy Coyte, who passed away recently. Uh, He's made a big impact on a lot of our lives because I know recently a lot of you I've been hearing stories about him. Um, When I came to this church over 35 years ago, just like Warren and Don, he was one of the first to greet me and welcome me to to the CLC family. And as a young man and a very new believer, I felt immediately at home here. And never a given Sunday, he did not shake my hand. And later, serving with... Uh, older men like Jimmy and uh, Jake Chisaki on the board of directors, I will always remember when Jimmy told me, when I was merely uh, a very young, 30-ish young man, he told me it was my generation's turn to lead. That was godly leadership. It was just like Paul telling Titus what to do. Jimmy modeled for me a whole lot of humility and maturity because most of the time it is very difficult to give up power and authority to someone younger. Jimmy represented to me what it means to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. It was a privilege for myself to spend um, some of Jimmy's last days, the last month of his life, um, a couple of days before he passed away, I had an opportunity to see him, visit him, and pray with him. And for me, I was deeply touched that uh, in, in the midst of all that he was going through and about to, to um, end his time here on earth, he actually said a prayer for CLC. And he thanked God and he praised God for all of his friends that he had here in the church. Jimmy will always be remembered and a godly reminder and a role model for many of us. Moving to verse 12, godly living needs us to just say no. Just say no. This is going to be hard. It's really difficult to say no. In my opinion, it's probably one of the hardest words to say to someone, to say no. We are all people-pleasers to some extent, and we all can be easily tempted and distracted. But we need discipline to do this because it's so easy to backslide and be corrupted. We are supposed to be changed people. Our old selves are to be thrown off. That means saying no constantly to things, to old ways and habits, and embracing new ways of godly living. Verse 12 says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And in that verse, what does that word, it, refer to? And I want us to go back to verse 11. Paul is referencing the wonderful gift of salvation that comes by the grace of God that teaches us to say No. Which leads me to my final point. Godly living is only by the grace of Jesus. You can't do it and you won't do it on your own. It's not possible. Verse 14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Spiritually speaking, we need Jesus' help. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for our wickedness with the blood, with his blood, and to purify corrupt people to be his own. As a matter of fact, in a moment we're going to celebrate communion to remember that. Our corruption is a spiritual problem which requires a spiritual solution. And Jesus is that solution when we draw near to him. Matthew 4, verse 17, in a New Living Translation, Jesus preached, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus is near, the kingdom of heaven is present. Not only do we need Jesus' help, but also by the grace of Jesus, practically speaking, we need accountability and support from church community. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. We need each other to model godly living for each other. Verse 14 says that Jesus purified for himself people eager to do what is good. So that is the challenge. Are you eager to do what is good? And the only thing that is good, as Jesus said, is God. So it's easy to slip up and go astray. You all have seen when you go bowling, you know, there's times when you want to make it easier on yourself. You put those bumper guards on the gutters so that the ball doesn't fall into the gutter. Well, that's an analogy for me what the church is supposed to be for each one of us. Is that we can be human bumper guards in the road of life so that we don't fall into those gutters that life can present to us. My mother always told me, be careful of who you hang out with. Because as the saying goes, birds of a feather flock together. When we surround ourselves with people who have right thinking and right living, people who are eager to do good, according to God's playbook, the better chance we will be like them. Godly people together. Last week, um, I had a phone call from a friend who said he had a recent encounter with God that convicted him to break out from his lukewarmness in his faith. That from the busyness of life, over time he had disconnected himself from church community. That caused him to fall away in his relationship with God, resulting in his lukewarmness. And he wanted to to change and make steps to renew his faith and serve Jesus again. So I appreciated his transparency and his honesty and being vulnerable to me, and I assured him and I encouraged him that I would be happy to come alongside him in his journey to seek after God again. But that's, for me, an example, a very timely example, that the gift of Christian community is what we all need. Paul in Titus 2 teaches that godly living matters because people are looking. That right thinking must translate into right living or doing, which often means saying no to corrupt ways. But most important, godly living is the fruit of the grace of Jesus that we have been given. In conclusion, godly living takes a village an intergenerational village like the one described in Titus 2. We need each other to be looking out for each other as we go through life as followers of Jesus Christ. Our challenge and purpose in life is this. How do I live to make the gospel attractive? My hope is that Christian Layman Church will be that intergenerational village for all of us to spur one another on, to godly living that attracts people to know Jesus. Amen? So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace we have received in your son Jesus that changed us from a corrupt self to a new pure self through his righteousness and not ours. Help us to live godly lives marked by right thinking and right living so that the world may know we are your people. And for us together as your church, Make the good news of Jesus attractive for others. All glory to you, and I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen.